take your Bibles, turn to Genesis 6. Genesis 6, man, I'm so glad to be back in this apologetic series that we started last January, and then we went through half of Hebrews, and we're back in Genesis Factor Fiction, and what I told them first hour was very simple. Either you believe it or you don't, man. God's not a liar. Jesus is not a liar. Jesus said this stuff was true. He spoke about the writings of Moses, including Genesis, as though it were truth, and so you can't have parts or pieces. You take it all or you leave it all. And I personally think it takes a lot more faith to believe in Darwinian evolution than it does just to believe what God says. In fact, over the next few weeks, I'm gonna be unpacking more of the flood narrative. Yes, we're gonna talk about dinosaurs. We're gonna talk about all that stuff y'all been writing me about. We're gonna talk about all of it. And I think the record that we see today is, what's up, man, my boy? I was hoping we'd get to use these front rows sometimes. My man Chadrick in the house. Good to see you, buddy. You're the only one that's brave enough to sit on the front row up in here. Then most Baptists do fill in the back. You ain't Baptist, so don't worry about it. I'm not either. Don't tell nobody. Okay. <laughs> Here's what I know. Here's what I know. This stuff that we see around us today, guys, is so obvious when you take it God's way. The fossil record. Uh, geology, all the formations. It's so obvious when you do it God's way. A fun fact, I forgot to say this in the first hour. Two chapters of Genesis are devoted to creation. Two. One chapter that gives the overview, second chapter that gives more specific. Listen to this. Three chapters devoted to the flood narrative. You think this stuff's important? God's decreation and recreation of the world. It did not look this way for Adam and Eve. But it looks this way post-flood because the flood changes everything. And so what we're talking about now is this storm is brewing. But I want us to look at this verse together. This is the easiest verse you'll ever get to memorize here. It's out of chapter 6. It's verse 8. Y'all say it with me. You ready? But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Y'all got that memorized? Put a blank in it. Ready? But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Guys, look. Here's the deal. Without that verse, we would not be here. Without that verse, we were all born through Adam and Eve initially, but then as God decreates and recreates through Adam, I'm sorry, through Noah, Mrs. Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth and their wives, God is gonna recreate, repopulate the world. And all of us came through that line. And so I am so grateful that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Let me ask you a question. How do you know when a storm is brewing? How do you know? Somebody gave me a great gift one time. It said it was something like the perfect weather indicator. It was just a key ring and somebody had woven some yarn, just a few little strands of yarn off that key ring. It's colorful, I still have it in my office. And it says this, hang this up and if this device is moving a lot, the wind is blowing. And if this thing is wet, it's raining outside. And you know, it went on and on if it's frozen, it's been snowing. And I thought, that's about right. Matt Hinkin, are you here? Now, I love Matt Hinkin, he's my boy. I talked to him last week. He was weatherman here for what? Like 60 years or something, I don't know. Matt was weatherman a long time. But what other profession in the world can be wrong more than they write and keep their job? Can we be honest? But the reality is all of us, and I appreciate those meteorologists and forecasters, they are brilliant men and women, but all of us can look outside there and say, uh-oh, uh-oh, look, the clouds are getting dark. Oh, you hear that? You feel that? All of us have built in this sense that a storm is brewing. You see the signs, you feel the difference. I lived in Florida for five years. We got used to it every day. 
Every day, something was going to pop up. It was going to rain 10 minutes. Then it was going to be gone as fast as it came. One time I'm in my truck, it's raining on the left. It's dry on the right. That's just the way it is. It pops up and it goes away. But listen, what if we're not expecting a storm? It was September the 21st, 1938, and a hurricane of monstrous proportions struck the east coast of the U.S. Most of us have never even heard this tale. William Manchester wrote about it in his book called The Glory and the Dream, and he said, quote, the great wall of brine struck the beach at Long Island, New York at 2.30 p.m. So mighty was the power of that first storm wave that an impact registered on a seismograph in Sitka, Alaska, all the way across to the other side. Think about that. It said that, the, that it sprayed and carried northward well over 100 miles an hour and whitened windows in Vermont. As a torrential 40-foot wave approached Long Island, some Long Islanders jumped into cars and raced inland. No one knows precisely how many were lost in that race for their lives, but the survivors estimated that to stay ahead of the wave, they had to keep the speedometer pegged over 50 miles an hour to get away. You know, for some reason, the specialist of that day that should have known a storm was coming did not warn the public. They seemed strangely blind to the impending disaster. They either ignored their instruments or simply couldn't believe what they were seeing. In fact, when Manchester's writing this book, he gives this great anecdote of a guy that had just purchased a barometer in New York City and it arrived to his home. It came by post the morning of the great storm. He unpacked it, looked at it, and the needle on the barometer pointed below 29. And below 29 indicated that they were in the category of hurricanes and tornadoes. But he couldn't believe it. Didn't look that way. Forecasters had not said anything. Paper hadn't said anything. So he shook the barometer. He banged it against the wall. Wouldn't budge. Indignant, the guy took the barometer, repacked it, drove it back to the post office. And while he was gone, his house blew away. Now, guys, the moral, if we can't cope with the forecast, too often we blame the barometer or we throw it away or we act like things are defective. Today, what I want us to do is take these verses. Now, last week we had the tough stuff, the three views, tough stuff. This week, much, much, much simpler. But I want us to take the word of the Lord and I want us to admit this is the the true and accurate barometer of our lives today and our lives to come. And let's see what God says to us about the storm that's brewing. Stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word. I'm going to go 6, 1 to 8. 6, 1 to 8. Remember, we've had the genealogies. We've got the family of Cain, family of uh, Seth. Got these long ages, and now it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men. Now you can think they're royals, you can think they're angels. I happen to think they're sons of Seth or sons, daughters of Cain. It's okay, it's not a salvation issue, just interpretation. And so the daughters of men were beautiful, so they took wives for themselves among whom they chose. And the Lord said, my spirit shall not strive with man forever. I'll not abide here forever. For he indeed is flesh, and yet his days shall be 120 years. And there were Nephilim. My Bible says giants, not the great rendering. I think it should be warriors, mighty leaders, uh, great men of renown. We'll see that again in a minute. And in those days, also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, they bore them children, or bore children to them. And those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. Doesn't say they were monsters of renown. Doesn't say they were monstrosities. It says they were men. There's no indication prior to this text, nor is there any after this text, that we're talking about divine or half-divine beings. So I'll leave it that, at that. Then the Lord 
This is a, this is a powerful verse, guys. This one and the next one, watch this. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he made man on the earth and was grieved in his heart. And so the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I've created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I've made them I like this. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Heavenly Father, this is a powerful passage. You've already made some declarations about humanity, but now we get a, a, a 180. Things are not as they once were. This world is about to change forever. And now we're on this side of the narrative. We look back and we try to make sense of what happened. But God, could it be said in our day that it seems at times the thoughts and intents of man's heart is on evil continually. May it never be said of us. May it never be said that we are grieving you, that we are bringing pain to your heart. Speak, Lord. We are listening. We are ready to obey. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, so as you're being seated, guys, let me repeat what I gave you last week and just give you one little extra quote related to point one. If you're a note taker, jot this down. Sin is multiplying. We saw it last week. I won't unpack it all, but sin is multiplying. If y'all want to look back, if you got a paper Bible, flip back. If you're digital, swipe back and get over to Genesis 1.31. Head there quickly, Genesis 1.31, and y'all fill in the blank. Then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. Has something changed between chapter one and, and chapter six? What changed? Well, Genesis three, didn't it? Genesis three, our parents decided it would be better to go their way rather than their father's way. They decided they knew better than God. They listened to the tempting voice of the enemy. And as Satan uh, tempted them, they succumbed, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life, right, all that stuff, and they fell. And it was a slippery slope of sin. In fact, when I was preaching that early last year, I said it was 10 steps down uh, as they went down the slippery slope of sin. But now we see that because of this, sin is multiplying. In Genesis 6, 5, it says, the Lord saw the wickedness of man is great on the earth. Every intent, and that word, that every, every thought, everything going between their ears, every firing of the brain, the thoughts of the heart, all the core, the inmost being is only evil continually. You could translate the Hebrew word there all the day long. All they could think about was evil. I like, most scholars have said this. I put it in quotes because I couldn't find who said it originally. So evidently people are plagiarizing because several commentators said the same phrase, but they didn't give anybody credit. So rather than plagiarize them, I just put it in quotes. I don't know who said it, but somebody said, a stronger statement of the depth of man's sin cannot be found in scripture. That's a good word. I mean, you could go to Romans 3 and we talk about the horrible depravity of man, but I'm telling y'all, up to this point in Genesis, yes, we see Cain rise up and murder Abel. Yes, we see some bad stuff, but this means everybody all the time is processing, thinking on, acting on sin. So sin is multiplying. That leads me to number two, punishment is coming. Punishment is coming. So God declared it's all very good. Now it's all very distorted, wicked, evil. So when we think about Genesis 6, 3, it says, the Lord said, my spirit 
shall not abide or strive with men forever. He is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. Now, what does that mean, 120 years? Could mean a couple of things. I believe it means shortened lifespan because after Noah and his family, the new population of the earth live much, much shorter lives. In fact, did y'all know there's only one man that would ever live after this generation that would live about 120 years? His name is Aaron. Uh, Moses was 120, but Aaron lived to be 123. Then he died. So about 120. And then it even declines again. And the psalmist says, man, 70, 80 years. And that's about right. For, for a lot. Now, I know that we can get up into the 100. You can even get close to the 120, but they're few and far between, y'all. Some other commentators say, no, 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 that 120 years, that his days will be 120 years, actually means it'll be from that moment to the flood comes, and that's possible, 120 years. It was going to take Moses, uh, it was going to take Noah and the group, I always say Moses built the ark, it's going to take Noah and the group a long time to build this ark. Probably his, his sons helped him. I'm sure he had others around. I'm sure he had paid workers. We can talk about that in a few weeks. But the point is that it took time, a long time. Some say as little as 40 years. Some say all the way up to 120 years. I don't know. 120 years could be shortened life expectancy. 120 years could be the period of grace before the flood. All I know is this. God is serious. God is upset. God is in pain. God is grieved. And punishment is coming. And cool, this is interesting. We are given a hint at the type of punishment coming from what is missing in verse seven. Think about what's missing in verse seven. I'm gonna read it while y'all jot that down. So the Lord said, and every time we see Lord here, it's the covenant name of God. Y'all notice that, it's capital. It's lower caps. When you see lower caps in a modern English translation, it means Yahweh, the covenant name of God that he used to introduce himself to Moses in Exodus three. I, the Lord, I am, I am that I am Yahweh. So the covenant personal God here said, I will destroy man whom I've created from the face of the earth. Watch, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air. He goes backwards, by the way, from where he created. Now he's decreating. He goes backwards. You can follow it from Genesis one and Genesis two. He's decreating. I'm going to take out man and beast and creeping things and birds of the air. For I'm sorry that I've made them. What's missing, y'all? The fish, the sea creatures. Now, we know that some of them died, and the fossil record indicates that some of them died horribly. I'm going to talk about that the next two weeks in this apologetics uh, series on the flood itself. We're going to get deep into the flood narrative. But I'm going to tell you that uh, some of those fish survived. Isn't it interesting that evolutionists would say the oldest stuff came from the waters? Hmm, could be that some of those lived through. But he doesn't mention the fish, he doesn't mention the sea creatures, but he's kind of precursoring, foreshadowing that he's gonna wipe us out with water. I will destroy or wipe out. That is the exact same phrase used in Exodus 17 for taking names out of a record book. It's actually the same exact verbiage used in Numbers 5, resulting in blotting out. And in Numbers 5, it says, I will use water to blot them out. Like you would take ink and you would take water and you would blot it out. You couldn't use an eraser. We're not talking about pencil here. But in this day, this same exact language was, I'm going to take water and I'm going to blot out the names. So it's very interesting, this divine decree. I'm going to create this, 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 and then he goes backwards. And I'm going to decreate this, 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 this. I'm going to destroy them. And the water will be inundated, the earth will be inundated with water from above and below. We'll unpack that next week. Is that a little extreme? I'm going to wipe out all the people and all the animals. Is that extreme? 
Some of y'all might be thinking, why would God wipe out all the animals, man? What have the animals done? I'm going to answer that question in a couple weeks. I'll be honest. I don't remember if it's in the next sermon or the next sermon, but you ought to be in church anyway. So it doesn't matter. So here's the thing. It does seem a little extreme, but when you understand all of scripture, the maker has every right over what he made. The potter starts to make the vessel. The vessel gets deformed. Does the potter have the right to remake the vessel? I would say, yes, he does. Absolutely, the potter remakes the clay. And we are the clay. Well, don't you punish your children when they do something wrong? And you say, yeah, pastor, but I don't kill them. Fair point. You might want to. You need to pray about that. I don't kill them. Okay. But, but here's the thing, guys. You're talking about all they're thinking about, all they're doing, all they're processing is evil continually. And it's not just disobedient action, guys. Pay attention to what the Bible's saying here. Look at verse five. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great and that every intent, thought, everything in their inmost being was evil all the day long, continually. It's stemming from the heart. That's what happens to us, guys. We think it's a problem of the hands, a problem of the feet. No, it's not. James 1.13 says, let no one say when he's tempted, I'm tempted by God. God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone, but... Each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Starts with your desire and mine. And then I'm enticed like the ox led to slaughter in Proverbs. And when desire has conceived, he gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, always inevitably brings death. That's what the Bible says. The wages of sin is death. We think about it. We think about it. We process it. And then there you go. We're off to the races. If your heart is not right today, I'm saying to you guys, it's time to repent. Repent means change your mind. And when you change your mind, it leads to a change of heart, attitude, and then action. Repent, turn around, don't wait. You might say, but I haven't done anything wrong yet, man. I'm just thinking about it. Well, stop thinking about it and turn to Jesus. If your heart's not right between you and the Lord or you and another person, you're already on the slippery slope of sin. Stop, turn around, come back. Why, Bobby? Because punishment's coming, y'all. Punishment's coming. Sin is multiplying. Third truth, God is grieving. Y'all see it? God is grieving. The Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. His thoughts are evil. Chapter um, six, verse six in the King James rendering says God repents, but please don't misunderstand that. The translators use the word repent of God somewhat differently than us. When we think repent, we think change your mind, change your direction. God's not changing his mind. He knows that sin is deadly and he never thinks sin is okay. God's not changing his direction. You say, but wait a minute now, pastor. If God knew that man was gonna fall, if God knew that man was gonna sin, why in the world did he create it this way? Because I have always argued that this is the best of all possible trajectories, folks. This is the best of all possible trajectories. What did Pinocchio want? Pinocchio wanted to be a real boy, right? He wanted the strings to be cut, man. I don't want the master to have to work me all the time. Do you want a God who has you on strings? I don't. Do you want a relationship where your partner has no free will? They love me because they have to love me. They do what I say because they have to do what I say. I'm gonna argue that's not love. 
I'm going to argue that's not a relationship. God knew in creating humankind for a real relationship and real love, he had to give us the power of moral choice. He had to give us free will, even though he knew we would slap his face and spit upon his son. Even though God knew it, this is the best of all possible trajectories. And God basically here is giving us a do-over, a reset. I'll talk more about that next week. But this is the best of all possible worlds. Andrew Knowles with the Bible Guide wrote this. Humankind is in the pits. As God surveys the human race, he finds everybody planning evil all the time. And while human hearts are full of wickedness, God's heart is full of pain. He alone knows our true glory, listen to this, and the paradise we've lost. It is because God's heart aches for lost humanity that he will one day send his son to be our savior. Jesus will show by his suffering and death exactly what our sin cost. Friends, God is no deified robot. We know him as a personal loving God, not a static, unconcerned, aloof deity. Yes, he's transcendent and holy other. God is totally different than us. And yet he's as close as our right hand and interacts intimately, imminently with his creation. He is incomparably affected by and even pained by a sinner's rebellion. So let me ask you a question. Now, I don't want you to think about it. Answer it quick because you know the answer. It's to parents. It could be to grandparents too, but to parents. How did I ask it? Let me ask it like I did on the screen. Does it grieve you when your children disobey? Yes? Does anybody have to think twice about that? Does it grieve you? Y'all know I can see you, right? We got new lights up in here. I can see every one of y'all now. <laughs> you can't even hide right there. I see y'all right there. Does it grieve you, parents? Yes, of course it grieves you. Of course it pains your heart. As one commentator said, it hurts a loving parent to see the disobedience of his children, so it pained God to see how wicked men had become. See, I could tell you about some other people's sin right now. I could tell you about my own children. I could tell you about our granddaughters. Miss Lucy turned three the other day. She came barreling in, boy. Let me tell you, best thing I can do is just tell you a, a quick story about me, because here's the deal. I was give my life to Jesus at nine. But about 11, 12, I started hanging out with some of those toxic kids I was talking about a few weeks ago. Some of those that they're, they're actually pretty good dudes. One's home with the Lord, but today they're good dudes, but we weren't good together. You know what I'm saying? We were bad together. And so I'll tell you my own story. I don't know why it always comes back to cigarettes, but we were young, we were stupid. And a guy that my daddy knew filled cigarette machines back in the day. Do y'all remember where you put in four quarters and you pull the thing and your cigarettes came down? I don't know that you can buy one cigarette for four quarters anymore. But back then, you were getting a pack for, you know, a buck, 75 cents a buck. So we went to his house. It was several miles from where the neighborhood we were in. We went to his house on our bikes late one night. He left the back sliding glass of his minivan open. We got into it and we took a lot of cartons of cigarettes, a lot. And we got plastic bags and we hoist them back and we, went, we got off the road and went back uh, through the fields and different things in my little rural community, made it all the way to my house because I had the clubhouse and I had some stuff inside where we could kind of hide it. And so we did. And we smoked our brains out the next little bit. <laughs> and about a week passed, it could have been a smidgen more, but I'm going to tell you, man, laying in the bed at night, I, I knew it was hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dollars worth of cigarettes even then. And the truth is, I couldn't deal with it, man. I couldn't deal with it. I was still, uh, my parents still had me going to church at that time. I was doing some singing and whatnot. Listen, 
I remember walking in and laying it all out in front of my mom and dad. My buddies weren't too happy. Um, and we had a real serious laying on of hands ceremony that evening. <laughs> but more than that, I don't remember that as much as I remember the pain and disappointment. I remember my father's eyes filling with tears because he knew this guy. And he knew the embarrassment of having to call. And of course, they made me um, speak to him, boy to man, to confess. And then uh, my buddy's parents took a different approach, but that's okay, that's their call. My parents made me a list, and I think it was a quarter an hour, could have been 50 cent an hour, but they made me work back the cost of all those cigarettes and give him, of course, what we had not already smoked. And there were plenty that we hadn't. But the point is, I worked back every penny. In fact, not too many terrible long years ago, we found that list, and it was interesting, in my mother's handwriting of where I'd worked an hour here, a couple hours there to pay that back. And I'm gonna tell y'all, it's one of the greatest things that ever happened to me. Because I remember the pain it caused my father, my mother. I remember the disappointment in their face, but I remember the pride when we got through the punishment and they said, thank you for telling us you've done the right thing. Now let's move on. Work hard, pay your debt, and let's move on. And I was still their son. Never changed my relationship. In fact, I would argue it probably made it better. Certainly when I got older, it did. And you may think, man, I can't go to my parents about what I've done. I can't go to my spouse, my friends, my teacher. I can't even go to God. Number one, God already knows. God knew the inside of my treehouse. okay? God knew exactly where those cartons went. Number two, it is gonna be painful at first. It is. When you come clean, man, it hurts. It's painful. I've messed up. I've done something I ought not to have done. And you fill in the blank because every one of us has done it. But confession is good because God said when we confess, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Man, you can't steal enough cigarettes to make God not love you. You can't do enough bad. You say, man, you don't know me. You don't know my past, but I know my Jesus and I know his blood is enough. It'll clean you up from sin, past, present, and future. And I'm just telling y'all, as bad as it was here, God still had a plan of salvation. And yes, their thoughts, their actions were evil continually. But you know what? Some of y'all's actions are evil continually. You said, you don't know me. Can you, can you just hear what the Bible is teaching for a second? Can you just make sure you get this point? If you have never trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you are evil continually. Let me explain. The problem here today is not our attempts and our achievements. The problem is our hearts. Until we bow the knee to Jesus as King of the universe and Lord of our lives, our life remains on the throne and that is dirty rags to God. All the good that we do, homeless shelters, cancer research, orphanages, will not carry over into eternity if they're not done in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to put it another way. Our hearts, if our hearts are godless, then even our most humane, unselfish, philanthropic deeds are filthy before God because our self-effort is not what saves us. The blood of Jesus Christ is what saves us. And so you might think, I'm not that bad a guy, but if you are not on team Jesus already today, you are 
are on team Satan today and you are bound for a hell that will forever separate you from your creator. You are bound for a place of torment and agony. There are not going to be parties. There aren't going to be people living it up. And man, I love y'all enough to tell you it's not about what you've achieved. It's not about who you've helped. It's not about even what this church has done. It is about the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ on Calvary's cross because that's the only way any of us can be saved, y'all. It's the only way you can have any hope. And if you are not in his family, then you are walking a path of destruction and disobedience. And you, like these folks then, are walking an evil way of punishment. Now listen, it's not too late for you because you're here today. It's not too late for you because you're watching today. You're tuned in today. So God is giving you another chance. And I can't tell you how many he'll give you, but you'll never get this one back. We got a bunch of folks making decisions last hour, a bunch of folks coming for prayer. Man, we've opened a new prayer and counseling room over here. We took some space and dedicated it to a prayer and counseling room. You know why? Because so many people are getting saved. That's a good thing. After this morning in the first service, two baptisms, listen, y'all, we have 98 people that have been baptized in less than six months at this church. We've had 200 more than that join the church, including 33 last week, signing the covenant. I want to be a part of what God is doing at Grace. Well, number one, I want you to be a part of the family of God. Number two, if you're led, welcome. But here's the deal. God is moving. God is working. God is saving souls. Because I'm telling you, when I look out at the world, I see storm clouds getting darker. I feel the wind blowing harder. I believe the day is coming and coming soon when Jesus Christ himself will break the eastern sky and we better be ready. I'm ready to go. And I won't need my Superman underoos to fly away. I'm going because Jesus has called me. But whether I see him through the portal of rapture or the portal of death, I know I'm settled. But some of y'all ain't settled yet. Some of you are not right yet. Some of you are uncertain. Some of you need to nail it down. And see, this looks bad. Sin is multiplying. Punishment is coming. God is grieving. But I'm here to tell y'all, grace is abounding. Grace is abounding. In fact, the way I would describe verse 8 is a light shines in the darkness. A light shines in the darkness. But Noah, man, I'm glad for that but Noah. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. A well-written, a well-respected German Old Testament scholar named Carl Friedrich Kyle said this. In these words, verse eight, there breaks forth from the dark cloud of wrath, the mercy which gives security for the preservation and restoration of humanity. Now next week, we're gonna talk about this when you come back. Look, it's not so much that Noah was good, but that God was gracious. It's not so much that I'm asking anybody to be good, You've heard Pastor uh, uh, Frank, Dr. Katz say, look, it's not your performance. Nobody's performance is going to get them there, just like nobody's going, badness is going to keep them out. That's foolishness. That's based on man's stuff. This is God's stuff. God looked across the scope, and Noah was a just man, and he was mature, and he did walk with God. And we're going to talk about that, but it was God's unmerited kindness, because Noah was still born a sinner. You don't believe me? Y'all listen to me. Three chapters later, chapter nine, read about him. We're going to get there. It might be later in the year. We're going to get there. Noah is sprawled out naked on, y'all know naked, naked. Noah is naked on the tent floor, uncovered after he got drunk on the wine he made. Don't give me this. God saved him because God, he was so perfect. No, he didn't. God saved him because God is gracious. 
God saved you because God is gracious, not because you deserve it or are good enough. And the split second you think you deserve it or good enough, God says, okay, big boy, try it on your own. That's not going to work. You got to be saved and sealed by God and God alone. You see, the remarkable thing about verse eight is God's goodness, God's grace. Sin has caused God pain. Calvary is the ultimate picture of this. Guys, what did God do? He said that life is in the blood and because sin has brought death, I demand sacrifice. But the blood of animals never ultimately washed away human sin. So God sent the perfect one, the lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world. Jesus, who lived a perfect life, died a sacrificial death, was buried in a borrowed tomb, was raised by the power of God the third day, ascended to the right hand of the father who sits mediating today, but who is soon coming again. And Jesus said, father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And Jesus said it is finished. Jesus said paid in full. You see, if Jesus doesn't rapture the church in our lifetimes, we will all experience the first death. The separation of our physical bodies from our spirits, that's the first death. But the Bible makes it clear, if you'll trust Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, it was beautiful. We saw a married couple get baptized in the first service. A husband and wife that had said, yes, we trust Jesus. But he had to trust Jesus for himself and she had to trust Jesus for herself. And so if you personally will trust Jesus, you will be born again. And when you're born twice, you only die once. But when you're born once, you will die twice. Because the second death, the second death spoken of in Revelation is an eternal separation. But I'm grateful today that God's already built the ark. I'm grateful today that the ark has one door. I'm grateful today that the door of the ark is still open, and I am not talking about the one on Ararat built by the hands of Moses. I'm talking about the ark named Jesus the Christ, the son of the living God. If you'll come to that ark, you will find salvation. No, 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 there's not going to be a flood of water coming to get you, but there is a flood of judgment. It is appointed unto man to die once, and after this, judgment. Are you ready for it? What have we learned? A storm has been brewing. What are the signs? Sin is multiplying. Punishment's coming. God is grieving, but I'm so glad grace is abounding. I want to close out with a brief true story told by the great American evangelist and pastor D.L. Moody. Moody said this, I was in the north of England in 1881 when a fearful storm swept over that part of the country. A friend of mine who was a minister had a great many fishermen in his place of service in his congregation. It had been a very stormy weather and the fishermen had not been able to go out of the harbor for a week. They were getting antsy as you might imagine. One day, however, the sun shone out in a clear blue sky and it seemed as if the storm had passed away. So the boats started out for the fishing ground. There's just one problem. Oh, he said, he even added the detail, 41 boats left the harbor that day. 41 boats. Problem. Before they started, the harbor master hoisted the storm signal and warned them of the coming tempest. He begged them not to go out, but they disregarded his warning and they went anyway. They could see with their view, no sign of the coming storm, but a few hours later, it swept down the coast and very few of those fishermen returned. There were five or six men in each boat. You can do the math on that, times 40, 41. And nearly all were lost in that dreadful gale. In the church of which my friend was pastor, I believe there were three male members left. 
those other men were ushered into eternity because they did not give heed to the warning. Now listen to what Moody says. The great preacher said this. I lift up the storm signal now and I warn you to escape from the coming judgment. That is a fair and grand assessment of the calling of a pastor. But y'all, I'm grieved in my spirit today because I believe too many so-called pastors of the gospel have believed it is their calling to smile a lot and tell a funny story and promise you a promotion and make you feel good about yourself, but never remind a world that is lost and undone that apart from Jesus, people are going to be separated. They are going to die and go to a devil's hell where there will be flame and fire and torment and there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth and worm will never die and they'll beg to have a drop of water placed on their tongue and yet no water will come ever. People that will say yes to Jesus Christ and trust him as Lord and Savior, the only ark of salvation. They will be ushered into the presence of God, given the keys to their mansion, walking streets of gold, being in the presence of God, enjoying his glory forever. We need some preachers to get a little bit old fashioned again and come back to the basics. Listen to me. I'm going to smile sometimes. I'm going to tell you a funny story sometimes, but not when a storm is brewing. The clouds are thickening, y'all. The wind is whipping out there. Some people still need Jesus. If you're here today, you think, boy, I, I wish I knew for sure. Oh, preacher, I think so. Man, I hope so. Pastors and counselors are well-trained and will be standing right here to make sure you can nail it down and you can know so. Your badness won't keep you out of heaven. Your goodness won't get you in. But if you have not trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are not in the ark and a storm is brewing. Stand with me. Listen, I don't have a lot of voice left for today because I'm real serious. Just some folks need to get right with God. Your age is irrelevant. And God may give you another chance. But whether you're in the room, or whether you are watching out there, or listening through various media, you have it. You know it. God may give you another chance. He'll never give you this chance again. This day is going to come and go. And some of you that are out there that say, not yet, that is your prerogative because God created you with free will. You are not a puppet on a string. But your not yet to me is no to God. When I got down on one knee and asked the prettiest girl I've ever seen, she didn't make me wait. I would have been crushed. I would have been undone if she said not yet. She said, yes. And God used her to change my life. And I'm not the man I once was. But praise God, he's not finished with me yet. But I know this. 
when he calls me through rapture or death, I'm ready to see him. I'm ready to fall before him. I'm ready to worship my king because of his goodness and his grace and nothing I've done. Thank you so much for watching us today. God is doing absolutely amazing things in and through our Grace Baptist Church family. If you'd like to share anything the Lord is doing in your life, feel free to reach out to us through our website or our app. And if you're ever in the Knoxville area, come by and worship with us and our family of faith here at Grace Baptist Church.